0: So, I know most episodes of this podcast, I usually start by saying that uh, I had some weird plan that I am now throwing out because I didn't know how to start the podcast, but about five minutes ago, I realized that this is episode four of I Recommend, and I have coincidentally decided that this is the Fantastic Four episode. So, episode four, Fantastic Four, it's like it was literally written in stone for me to fucking figure that out, like the moment I would would happen. Um, Hi, my name is Tyler. This is I Recommend Episode 4. Today, I'm going to be giving you stuff to read on the Fantastic Four. So, last week was the Avengers. I I started my foray into Marvel with the Avengers. And today, we're going to continue into the Marvel Universe with their first family. Uh, Reed Richard, Sue Storm, Johnny Storm, and Ben Grimm, the Fantastic Four, along with their children, you know, uh, Valeria and Franklin, nearly forgot his name. Uh, The Fantastic Four are Marvel's first family, what a lot of people don't, I think... People probably know this, but people don't really give them the credit they deserve for it. If not for the Fantastic Four, Marvel Comics would not exist in the way it does today. They kind of... They, they're the stone on which the rest of the universe lays. Reed Richards is kind of the main character of the Marvel Universe in the way that Superman is for DC. And I think it's something that people don't really look at enough... I know the writers respect it, but fans often look at it, you know, Spider-Man is the main character, or Captain America, the Avengers, it's the Fantastic Four, they're the main heroes of this universe, they're celebrities, they're adventurers, and they're the fucking best. Um, I often get asked a lot what my favorite Marvel team is, and it usually comes down between them or the X-Men. With the X-Men, you have so many characters and so many different versions of their teams, like, am I gonna, when I say X-Men, do I count X-Factor, do I count, you know, Excalibur, do I count in you know, uh, X Force or any of these other ancillary teams, or am I just thinking about the X-Men? And if I'm thinking about the X-Men team, then which X-Men team am I thinking of? You know, that's where I kinda come at when I say that the X-Men are my favorite. But the Fantastic Four are consistent in a way where I can also call them my favorites, and I'm not technically lying by saying both. Um so I want to do something a little different for this episode of the podcast. I want to start a new trend that hopefully I will remember going forward, where Not only am I going to give you the runs to read of these characters, but I also want to give you a kind of a little history lesson on where these characters come from, how were they created, why were they created, and the impact they've had so far. So I've told you a little bit about the impact of the Fantastic Four and how without them, Marvel really wouldn't be the company it is today. They wouldn't be the, the cultural juggernaut that they are today. Everything that Marvel is, is because of the Fantastic Four. Why is that? Let's get into it. So... Fantastic Four Issue 1 comes out in November of 1961 and completely blows out of the water a lot of the other books that Marvel was making at the time. What I don't think a lot of people know about Marvel is that while at DC during the 50s... So, DC had an early golden age. uh, Well, it is called the golden age, but they had an early age where they created all of their popular characters. 1938, Superman is created. 1939, Batman is created. I think 1940 or 1941 maybe... um, Wonder Woman is created. And so you have your big three right there, right out of the gate, 1930s and 40s. Now, at the same time, Timely Comics, which was what Marvel was called at the time, had Namor the Submariner. they had the Human Torch, and in 1941, they create Captain America. But from 1941 until 1961, you have this real long gap in time where DC is creating characters like Barry Allen and Hal Jordan. They're building these legacies and they're creating Robin and Alfred. They're laying the foundation for what these characters will always be. Meanwhile, Marvel is making monster comics. They're making Western comics, making romance comics. In the 50s, uh, superhero comics weren't really as popular as they had been during the war. And so, Marvel, especially, again, at the time called Timely, they also went through a name called Atlas, but they were not producing uh, superhero comic books. In. The 1950s, Stan Lee was writing a lot of romance comics. Technically speaking, if we want to go into the history of that, Stan Lee has written more romance comics. He's written more Millie the Model than he ever did superhero comics. But that's a whole different tangent. But my my whole point is that Marvel was not a superhero company at this point. They had created superheroes, but the characters they created, besides Captain America, were not ones that were really going to you know uh, set the world on fire the way that Superman or Batman did, you know? So... 1961 rolls around, DC has already created the Justice League, and in the story behind the Fantastic Four, I've looked it up, it's it's a little funny, there are a lot of different accounts, and so I'm going to go through them all right now. Martin Goodman is the editor-in-chief at Marvel Comics, and he is having he's playing a game of golf with the top guy at the company that publishes DC Comics, and he's bragging to them about how the Justice League, uh, this new team they've created, the Justice League of America, is just completely trouncing uh, Timely at everything they're selling. Timely comics are not selling anything that is selling as well as Justice League. And so Martin Goodman goes to Stan Lee, who was kind of his chief writer at the time, and says, to create a superhero team, Justice League is such a massive team, Marvel, again, Timely at the time, needed a team to compete with them. Stan Lee now, at the time, you know, Stan Lee is this legend now. He's this juggernaut who's created all these characters. But at the time, he was kind of trying to find a way out of comic books. He had been writing romance comics, like we said. He'd been writing a lot of genre books. And in the 50s, comic books were kind of viewed as like an inferior form of media. They were looked at and linked to juvenile delinquency. There's a lot of controversy about what comic books were regarded as in the 50s. And Stan Lee was kind of taking the brunt of that emotionally. Like he felt like he was creating nonsense. He didn't think he was really contributing to the world in the way that he knew he could. So he goes home and he talks to his wife, Joan. This is Stan Lee's story, by the way. Uh, We'll get into other accounts of this later. But tells uh tells his wife, Joan, that Martin told him to make a superhero team, but he doesn't really know if he wants to do it. He doesn't know if he wants to create a team at all. He doesn't know if he wants to continue writing comics. And what Joan says is, why don't you create a team and, and create a book that you want to write? Something that is different from everything else out there that you want to create, that you would like to read, and if they don't like it, they'll fire you. And guess what? If you get fired, you already you already wanted to quit. So what's the big deal? And if it succeeds, then you get to continue writing what you want to write. It's kind of a win-win scenario for standing that, in that situation. So Stanley hears this advice from his wife, uh, thinks about it for a couple of weeks, creates the Fantastic Four in his head, goes to Jack Kirby. They they come out uh, with the issue, and then history is made. Fantastic Four are born. The Marvel Comics is born. That's Stanley's account of it. Jack Kirby's account, on the other hand, who is the artist on Fantastic Four and is, you know, the partner that Stanley most worked with at the time they created the X Men, the Avengers, all these characters together, um, says that it was his idea. He says that he created the Fantastic Four based on his DC comic, The Challengers of the Unknown, and that all of it was him and it was just Stan's words. Now, at the time, they actually created this method of writing comics, which has now become known as the Marvel method, but it was basically that. Stan and Jack would talk about the plot of a comic. Uh, Jack would go home and draw it, add in whatever he wanted. Stan would then take the the printed pages that that Jack had drew, and he would write words into where the word boxes would fit. And that was the Marvel method. So it's kind of hard with the Marvel method to discern who creates what and who, uh, you know, which creations belong to who. And so the argument is. It's age. It's 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 forever. I mean, this argument will never be never be qualmed. They are both dead, and I don't think they made up before they died. Jack Kirby, in the '90s, went on record as saying that everything Stan said about the creation of the Fantastic Four was an absolute lie, and and then Stan and then he died. So Stan, I don't know if he ever really got to talk about that. I really hope they made up by the end, but I don't think they did. So uh, Fantastic Four, 1961. Like I said, the funny thing about it is. They had to hide it, so at the time as well, DC, the comp- the parent company I think was called National Comics. Let me check on that real quick. Um, yeah, National Publications actually owned not only distribution rights for DC Comics, but also for Marvel Comics. So Marvel Comics, not only did they not really write uh, superhero books, they kind of had to sneak them into their publishing line at the time. Fantastic Four issue one, if you notice, on the cover does not have any superhero um, uh, what's the word? Costumes. There's no costumes on that fucking cover. It's a monster, and there's four people, and it kind of looks like a monster book, like that Marvel has been selling at the time. It, I think it's until issue four that they actually get costumes at all. Um, or maybe that's wrong. I think they might get costumes in the first issue, but until they're not on the cover until issue four. But the the Fantastic Four, you know, like I said, they set the world on fire, and now Marvel is born. So. Issue four, they bring back Namor the Submariner. Issue five, they create Doctor Doom, and from that point on, not only are they creating hits in the Fantastic Four book, but Stan and Jack are going off, and they're creating hits like Iron Man and Ant Man and the Wasp, Thor, Spider Man, all these characters. Uh, Not before anybody. Before I get any messages, I know Jack Kirby did not create Spider Man. It was Steve Ditko with Stan Lee, but Jack Kirby actually drew the cover for Amazing Fantasy fifteen. So technically, I'm not wrong. Whatever. Let's move on. So, the original Stack and Jan... St- <laughs> St- <laughs> you know, I, I, full discrepancy, I actually I paused the podcast there because I meant to delete that, and where I said Stack and Jan instead of... Uh, just, <laughs> God damn it! Instead of Stan and Jack. But I think it's funny enough, I'm going to leave it in there, and I'm just going to continue like nothing fucking happened. So, <laughs> what I was going to say is... The original Stan and Jack run I have not read, and maybe eventually in my life I will. I'm thinking it's probably an omnibus read. I I don't think I could read it digitally. I don't think I could get through that. But uh, I do have a friend that has read the original run, and that friend is someone that you guys might know. Uh, We do the hero story together, History of the Flash, J.D. I asked him to send me a voice message talking about the run and giving his thoughts and kind of giving you which issues he
1: recommends to read. So
0: let's take it away, J.D
1: jack kirby and stan lee fantastic four one of the most talked about runs of all time and there's a good reason for that after 60 years the themes are still relevant which is kind of crazy like how future forward thinking it was uh it's been honestly a joy for me to read and uh, you know i I think that it's so much different than other comics from that era because it It had more than just one dimension to all these characters, family-focused, character-focused, development even for a lot of the characters, which is really cool. Um, I recommend, you know, if you don't want to read the whole thing, if you read from issue, like, 39 to 53, 39 being the Daredevil crossover, A Blind Man Shall Lead Them, and 53 being the introduction of the Black Panther, I mean, that's a pretty great stretch there. You get Daredevil, the introduction of the Inhumans, the introduction of Galactus and the Silver Surfer, and of course, Black Panther, I mean, it's just, it's a great stretch. Though some of the dialogue is a bit dated and even some things you could tell are very much from the 60s, it's still one of the all-time great runs and one of the best Fantastic Four runs of all time. And there's a reason that every single run after it references it in some way or has some kind of homage. And that says something about how powerful that run is.
0: So yeah, I think that kind of gets across across, I don't know what's wrong with my fucking voice today, bruh, uh, that gets it across pretty eloquently, is what I meant to say, uh, that you should read that run, because uh, I definitely have to, and I can't pretend that I did, Uh, but what I will do now is run you through the list of stuff I have written down, so first off, I have the, the John Byrne run, which is from the 1980s, it's often thought of as the second golden age of the Fantastic Four, it's from issues 232 to 295. It's a lot of fun, it's really big, it's bombastic, John Byrne is my favorite comic book artist of all time, I can look at him as a person and and disagree with a lot of what he believes in politically, because my god is that guy a transphobe, um... But I can kind of look at his art and go, ooh, pretty, and his, his words, and go, oh, that's pretty well written. And I can kind of ignore that shit. I mean, it's, it's really unfortunate that he is the person he is because he's also said stuff like that immigrants that have too much of a relationship to their home family or their home country are ungrateful little shits. Not a great guy, unfortunately, but I really like his runs on comic books. And I don't want to say that that makes it okay, but I can separate the art from the artist, and th- that's all I'm going to say on that matter. His comics are good, uh, especially his Fantastic Four is very good, and his art style really meshes well with the Marvel comics kind of the the characters. I mean, he's done a lot of DC stuff, but his Marvel comic stuff, particularly, is where he shines the most. Uh, I think I'm gonna move on from from John Byrne now because I think it got a little awkward there. Um, the next run I have is skipping ahead 20 years into the future. Mark Wade and Mike Moringo. So Mark Wade is a famous comic book writer. We've, I've talked about him so many times. We've talked to him on a hero story. If you want to check that episode out, Mike Moringo is one of the great unsung heroes of comic books. He passed away, I think, 2005 or six, maybe. And he passed away with a legacy where it's like he he was incredible. He was an incredible artist, but I don't think he really managed to hit the heights that he really deserved to because he unfortunately passed away at such an early age. Um, they wrote Fantastic. So Wade wrote Fantastic Four from issues sixty to seventy-one, and then the numbers uh, revert to the legacy issues, and then it goes from five hundred to five hundred twenty-six. If you're reading it in an app, or if you read it just all together, it won't actually be that confusing. I know it sounds a little confusing now, but sixty to seventy-one, five hundred to five twenty-six. What Wade does is he really decides to hone in on the family aspect of it and the fact that these people aren't superheroes but rather they're adventurers. They go on massive scale cosmic adventures. They have a lot of family uh family fun. It's a really nice heartwarming story. It's it's epic in a way where the it, It's epic in a way where the 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 cosmic stuff is just so fucking out there. Like Mark Wade is just he, he's he's killing it with this shit. Like he's he thinks about this stuff that I never would have thought about for these characters. Like he uh, I don't wanna give spoilers. I, I got a message last week or I left I got a review on this podcast actually that I really appreciated that said that not to leave the spoilers out because again I forget that you guys are reading these for the first time. So I'm not gonna spoil a lot of the things that Mark Wade does. But he takes these characters to really fun places. He um and like I said, he infuses it with a really nice, kinda heartwarming, family friendly vibe. Mike Waringo's art hits that hits that vibe on the fucking dot. He he kills it, man. Like his art is just incredible in this book. Um, there's an arc with Howard Porter art, and it also, this, this run might have the best Doctor Doom story in a Fantastic Four book ever. Uh, maybe not the best Fantastic Four Doctor Doom story ever, but the best Doctor Doom story in the issues of Fantastic Four ever, if that makes any sense. It's a little confusing, um, and I'm trying to think if I should explain it now because you might be confused going into it, uh. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to do it. So we're going to go on another little history lesson here. I'm going to give you some comic book lore. Valeria Richards. So there's a Doctor Doom story in this Mark Wade run that has a lot to do with Valeria Richards. And if you read Fantastic Four now, if you have any kind of passing knowledge of Fantastic Four now, you know that Reed and Sue have two children, Franklin and Valeria. Franklin is an old character from, like, the 1970s, I think. He was created way back when, and he was a baby back then. But what you might not know is that at the time... Uh, Later on, Valeria, or Sue was pregnant with Valeria later on, maybe in the 80s, or maybe still in the 70s, it might have been the same time, but anyway, Valeria is kind of explained as this baby that Sue miscarried, and if you read Fantastic Four now, you're kind of wondering, wait, how how did Sue miscarry this baby when I've seen her in comic books, she's like 12 or 14 now, right, here's the Valeria Richards origin story, so, Valerie Richards is miscarried by uh, Sue Storm. But Franklin Richards, her brother, who has universe-altering mutant powers, he's pretty much the most powerful being in the entire Marvel Universe, if you don't know that. He, in the future, makes Galactus his servant. Like, he's a very powerful fucking character. He's kind of god-esque in that way. But as a baby, he used his powers to send the infant... Valeria into an alternate dimension, and in this alternate dimension, the baby Valeria was raised by a good guy, Doctor Doom, and, as, and a version of Sue Storm. When this universe, this alternate dimension that she was sent into, ran its natural course and ended, like the universe literally just ended, you know, the universe ran to the end of time and was destroyed by, you know, whatever destroys universes just naturally came to the end of its universe the it's so weird guys like explaining this shit to you like i'm just saying it straightforward but it makes no fucking sense when that universe ends valeria is then pulled back into the 616 universe she's put into sue's womb sue is like nine months pregnant instantly and now valeria is in the 616 universe What's, what happens, though, is that the rest of the team happens to be, like, off doing some other adventure while uh, Sue becomes pregnant. And the only person that Sue Storm, for whatever reason, trusts to deliver her baby is Victor Von Doom. So she goes to Victor. She asks him to deliver her baby. Victor delivers it but the only thing the only caveat being that he gets to name the child. So he names the child Valeria after like his childhood love I think. He um his, his first love in Latveria was a woman named Valeria. So he decided to name their child their child after Valeria. And he's also named as her godfather. If you read Hickman's Run which we'll get to later, they kind of lean into this relationship quite a bit. So anyway, there's your Valeria Richards info dump in case you needed that going into the Mark Wade run because that kind of connection between Reed and uh, or Doom and Valeria becomes very apparent there where he might have he, he definitely cares about Valeria quite a bit, but he also might have done something to her uh it just just to piss off the Fantastic Four. We all know how Doom is. He's not a great guy. Um, I don't actually have this on the list, but talking about Doom makes me realize I should probably give you a recommendation for him too, considering he's a Fantastic Four character. Um, Books of Doom. Ed Brubaker, I forget the artist, but Ed Brubaker tells Dr. Doom's origin story. You learn of Valeria, uh, the, you know, the first Valeria, and it's a great book. The next run I have written here is Jonathan Hickman's run. So I talked about Hickman's run last week. There's going to be a little bit of um, of crossover between the stuff I told you last week and the stuff I'm telling you this week. Mostly because a lot of what Hickman did at Marvel, whether it was Avengers or Fantastic Four, kind of revolved around Reed Richards as a character. Uh, I gave you the numbers last week. Hickman writes Fantastic Four from 570 to 588. Then from 588 on, it becomes Future Foundation. So the book, like I said, goes from Fantastic Four. Then you jump into Future Foundation issues one to twelve. Then after issue twelve of Future Foundation, Fantastic Four then continues at six hundred till six eleven, is which are which is where Hickman stops. Hickman continues writing FF, uh, Future Foundation, but it's not as important as the rest of the stuff uh, pre issue six hundred. I feel like that might not have made sense. Basically, when Future Foundation comes out, it takes the spot of the main Fantastic Four book. So issues 1 through 12 of of Future Foundation are technically issues 589 to 599 of Fantastic Four. And then when Fantastic Four issue 600 comes out, that's technically FF issue 13. I I hope that makes any sense. Um, But yeah. Um, The next one I have written down, my God, this is... There's a lot of caveats, I realize, with this Fantastic Four shit, is Matt Fraction's runs. So Matt Fraction writes two... Oh, I, God, I didn't even tell you what's good about Hickman's run. Hickman, what he does is he really hones in on Reed as a character, like I said, but he hones in, again, on that family dynamic. But what what Hickman does better than anyone else is the massive scale stories. He will write the biggest story you've ever fucking read in your life, and it's just epic, like... Reed meets the Council of Reeds in this, if you've seen Rick and Morty and you see the Council of Ricks, they got that from this, uh, where Reed Richards and a bunch of multiversal multiversal versions of him meet each other, that shit's really fun, Uh, there's a lot of really good Reed and Doom stuff, there's a lot of really, really good Johnny Storm stuff, Uh, Hickman wrote Johnny Storm with a lot of respect, A a lot of people think he's just kind of like this dumb kid, but Hickman wrote that character as like an adult, he's He's funny, and he's a little juvenile, but he's not a stupid kid. He's, he's an adult. You know, he knows what he's doing. He did a lot of good stuff with Ben. He did a lot of good stuff with Stu, Franklin, uh, Valeria. He, he just he knew how to write these characters. And when he gets the future foundation, and you get someone like Peter Parker joining the team, you kind of get this fantasy team of uh, three members of the Fantastic Four, Reed, Sue, and and Ben, and the fourth member being uh, Peter Parker, which is a lot of fun. Um, Matt Fractions run is what I want to get into next. Matt Fraction wrote Future Foundation and Fantastic Four concurrently. And it was a really fun idea, and it's something that uh, I don't think a lot of people really know about. It's a little unfortunate because, like I said, it's a really fun book. So his basic idea is that the Fantastic Four, Reed finds out that their radiation, their, um, their cosmic rays that gave them their powers back in the first issue, are now killing them. And so they have, like, Fantastic Four versions of cancer so reed not wanting to kind of ruin his family's fun not wanting to kind of uh, upset them or worry them tells them that they're going to go on a trip they're going to go on a trip that's going to take them a year but they're going to go through time so when they come back it's only going to be like they'll be gone for 60 seconds or something like that so in the 60 seconds that they're gone he tells every member of the fantastic four to get a replacement a replacement fantastic four that will run the building in case they don't come back or, you know, just for the minute that they're gone, in case something crazy happens in those 60 seconds. The This is what FF is. So, Future Foundation is the book where you get this replacement Fantastic Four. It is Scott Lang as Ant-Man, uh, Medusa from the Inhumans, um, Miss Thing, who's a character called Darla Deering, who is Johnny Storm's girlfriend, and uh, Jennifer Walters, She-Hulk. So, these four become the Future Foundation. They become the Fantastic Four uh, meanwhile, the actual Fantastic Four are going on time travel adventures where they're doing things like seeing where Reed and, and Sue first met, or meeting Ben Franklin and shit like that. Like really, really fun stuff. Uh, art by Mark Bagley in that book, and in Future Foundation, the art is by Mike Allred. They're meant to be read as all as one big thing. They're twenty issues each, so technically forty issues for his big picture run. But it's a lot of fun. Uh, Future Foundation specifically is a very funny book. It's a book where Matt Fraction really gets to stretch his comedy chops. He's a really funny guy, and I like seeing his uh, his comedic side come out more. Uh, people love Hawkeye, so if you've read Hawkeye, then that kind of comedy in a Future Foundation book, it's killer. Uh, Scott Lang, like I said, Jennifer Walters, they're funny characters. Uh, Fantastic Four, on the other hand, is just kind of a straightforward cosmic book, but there's a lot of really good stuff with Reed and Sue especially where Reed, like I said, is kind of hiding this diagnosis that he's gotten uh, from the rest of the family because he doesn't want to worry them, but meanwhile, while he's taking them on a road trip, air quotes, he's also trying to find the cure. It's a lot of fun. Fraction kills it. The Fantastic Four are missing for longer than 60 seconds, so in the Future Foundation book, you kind of get the day-to-day of what it's like in the Baxter building holding the fort down while the Fantastic Four are missing. Uh, it's That's all I want to say about it because, again, I don't want to really give any spoilers. <laughs> Uh, I don't have any more runs written down here, per se. I could say Dan Slot's run. I know a lot of people give it shit, but I really like that run. Uh, there's a run right before Time Runs Out, right before Secret Wars, uh, where they're wearing the red suits. I forget what the fuck... Who wrote that book? Hold up, I need to check that. Okay, I just checked. Uh, like I said, Red Suits uh, 2014, written by James Robinson. A lot of the art's done by Leonard Kirk. This is kind of... You can read this as a last Fantastic Four run. So, leading into Secret Wars, this book kind of wrapped up a lot of the Fantastic Four uh, loose ends and stuff like that because the Fantastic Four obviously go missing after Secret Wars. Uh, or, or they're disbanded, kind of, because Reed and Sue and Jonathan, or Reed and Sue and Franklin and, uh, and Valeria go off with the Future Foundation. Meanwhile, Johnny and Ben stay on Earth. So, the Fantastic Four don't exist after anymore. This is kind of the, the swan song for them. Not. Not as much as Secret Wars is, because obviously Secret Wars is the event, but for, like, the last Fantastic Four adventures on Earth, this is kind of what they are. They're wearing red suits, which I've said, like, four times, but it it, grow, it grew on me, definitely. At first, when I saw them, I was like, ugh, you know, disgusting, almost, because how dare they change the perfect costumes of the Fantastic Four, but they get the blue suits back eventually, and it makes you kind of miss the red suits, because they are kind of fun, um... I think that's that's all I have yet yeah, for runs. Uh, like I said, slots run you could read. That's pretty fun. Um, but what I want to tell you is a book that actually came out maybe two months ago, uh, written and drawn by Alex Ross, and it's called Fantastic Four Full Circle. This is a book where Alex Ross actually is retelling an old Stan Lee Jack Kirby Fantastic Four run. It's 64 pages. It's a self-contained graphic novel. It gives you their origin at the beginning. So if you want to read Fantastic Four uh, and you're not really sure about any of these runs because they might sound like too much commitment, Fantastic Four Full Circle is a is an amazing place to start. It's like 20 bucks. It's, like I said, drawn by Alex Ross and written by him, so the art is just insane. It's really psychedelic in a way that his art really isn't, usually. There's a lot of really fun use of colors. It's awesome. It's really, really cool. It's an Alex Ross book, unlike any other Alex Ross art. Usually he's going for the photorealistic look, but in this, it's really more psychedelic, kind of trippy, big cosmic stuff, and that's perfect for the Fantastic Four, and you can tell that he really loves them. (laughs) God, my nose, if you've heard me sniffle throughout this entire podcast, I am so sorry. My nose is really being a fucking asshole today. Uh, the last run I have, I said I didn't have any more runs, but this is kind of the last one technically, but it's not a 616 run. The last one I have here is Ultimate Fantastic Four. So this is written by Brian Michael Bendis and Mark Millar with art, uh, initially art is by Andy Kubert, but obviously artist changes as the book goes on because it goes on for like 90 issues, but this is a modern retelling of the Fantastic Four. No cosmic rays, no nothing like that. It's the one that the 2015 movie is based on. Uh, but it's the 2015 movie sucks, and obviously it's it's nothing like this because this comic is actually good. In this book, you get all ultimate versions of the Fantastic Four. Like I said, you get an ultimate version of Doctor Doom, who's a really weird character. He's got metal skin and goat legs, which I, I don't know where the goat legs really come in. They're really weird. If you want to, while you're listening to this, Google Ultimate Fantastic Four, Doctor Doom, or even Ultimate Doctor Doom. Uh, it'll, it's, it'll, it'll blow your mind with how weird of a design it is. Um, but I kind of like it. It's, it's fun in a really weird way. Um, but you get the introduction of stuff like Marvel Zombies. Marvel Zombies comes from this Ultimate Fantastic Four run. It's a spinoff from this. And I think that's really cool. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the last Fantastic Four run I have. But what I wanted to also do here was give you kind of a rundown of books that service the main four characters, uh, as solo people. So Reed Richards... Uh, Hickman's Fantastic Four, like I said, Hickman killed it with Reed, but he follows that up in New Avengers, I, I gave you that recommendation last week, into Secret Wars, so like I said, if you want to read more Reed, uh, New Avengers into Secret Wars is kind of the, the great Reed Richards story of this generation. Ben Grimm, on the other hand, has a book, uh, New Avengers 2010, where he joins the Avengers on that team, that's a lot of fun, he's on he's on the team with like Wolverine, Spider-Man, Luke Cage, it's a lot of fun, like I said, um, and... Since he is on an Avengers team, you get to see him interact with these characters that you usually wouldn't, like Ms. Marvel's on that team, Dr. Strange is on that team, you get to see him go on adventures that he usually wouldn't. Uh, Thing is also on the 2015 Guardians of the Galaxy, um, I'm not going to say reboot, but it's the relaunch post-Secret Wars, where Kitty Pride is Star-Lord. Groot is on the team, Rocket's on the team, stuff like that, but the thing is on the team. And I think that's a really fun kind of addition to the Fantastic Four, or to the Fantastic Four, to the Guardians of the Galaxy. You put Ben Grimm on that team. He really kind of thrives on a team like that because he's been on so many cosmic adventures. Johnny, on the other hand, post Secret Wars, joins the Uncanny Avengers. This is a team that's made up of X Men, Inhumans, Avengers, and Fantastic Four members. You know, he's the only Fantastic Four member left, but, you know, it still kind of counts. Um, and Johnny, Johnny's dealing with a lot in this book, uh, throughout this entire era of Marvel, Johnny is dealing with loss, he feels like he's lost, they don't know if Reed and Sue are alive, they, they're afraid that they're dead, and so Johnny's kind of dealing with the idea that the Fantastic Four, the world's great premier superhero team, might be gone forever, and he will never get to say goodbye to his sister, or his nephew, his niece, his best friend, like he never, he's dealing with that kind of trauma, and it's a really interesting place to put Johnny, he's, uh, he's also in uncanny inhumans which is written by charles soul it's weird he's dating medusa I, I don't get what they were trying to do with the inhumans during this era but they put johnny in the book because i guess they thought he would even he would help boost sales i don't think he did but nonetheless they did it he um he's dating medusa like i said which is super weird because he also dated medusa's sister crystal they really treat johnny like a dog in the marvel universe he's an adult man. He gets around a lot, but I wish that they would just kind of let him settle down. He really needs that. Um, Also from this era, though, is Marvel 2-in-1. This is written by Chip Zdarsky with art by Jim Chung initially, I think. This is a book where, um, again, like I said, post-Secret Wars, the Fantastic Four are missing. So Johnny and Ben team up, and they try to find uh, Reed and Sue. And it's a really fun book. Chip Zdarsky, who should really get a chance to write the Fantastic Four one day... He's funny he knows how to write these characters as kind of complex people and they like I said, they're dealing with grief they're dealing with loss. they don't know if, if Johnny and or they don't know if um Reed and Sue are dead so they're dealing with that together in their own different ways. Ben has kind of gone more internally and realized that, Maybe they are dead. If they are, they need to deal with it. And so he's kind of moved on. Not from He's not saying that he's kind of forgotten them, but he's trying to move past them. Meanwhile, Johnny is f- jumping from team to team trying to figure out what to do because he doesn't know if he has his own place as like a singular person. He's so used to being on the Fab Four, you know? Uh, so that's a great book. That's a really fun book. Sue, unfortunately, doesn't have as many good character, like solo kind of stuff that really defines her character outside of the team. She had a she had a solo book that I have written down here by Mark Wade that was actually pretty recent, might be like a year or two old. Haven't read it though, so I don't know if I can recommend it. But I do have it written down if you want to seek that out. I don't know who's on art, but I know that Mark Wade wrote it, which honestly is kind of a good enough excuse. I might read that eventually. Um, but that's kind of it for the Fantastic Four. Um, it's a shame. It, I like giving these kind of final words on these characters after I give you all the books to read. It's a shame that the Fantastic Four have not been treated as well as, like, the Avengers have in culture, in, in, you know, movies and TV and stuff like that, because, especially, or even characters like Spider-Man or Batman, Superman, these kind of characters that are known as, like, defining characters for these companies, it's a shame, like I said, that the Fantastic Four hasn't gotten that kind of respect, because they are Marvel's first family, they... They are the people, those four characters that had built the Marvel Universe. So without them, you wouldn't get the Avengers. You wouldn't have gotten Spider-Man. You wouldn't get the X-Men. And I don't think DC would have succeeded as well as they had if Marvel hadn't taken off as much as they had in the early 60s. So I want to kind of give the Fantastic Four credit for the modern comic book universe that we live in today is because of the Fantastic Four. So like I said, it's a shame that they don't have the kind of the respect that they deserve in movies, especially for whatever reason, they couldn't nail it down. They had the Roger Corman movie in the in the 90s that never fucking came out. And then you have two uh, 2000s movies, which I think capture the tone kind of well, but aren't really great movies on their own. And then you have the 2015 movie, which, you know, throw that in the fucking garbage. What a trash, piece of trash. I saw that movie opening night, and, and I was, what, 14 when that movie came out. And even then, I was just like, this is a disgrace to the Fantastic Four. Like, how dare they even put their title on this movie, you know? Um... The the MCU movie that's coming out, though, that's definitely my most anticipated Marvel movie. That might be my most anticipated comic book movie coming out, because it just, like, I believe that the MCU is the perfect place for these characters to thrive in a situation like that, because the MCU is a shared universe, all these characters are so kind of they're so ingrained into the Marvel universe. They they held it up initially, but they're so ingrained in the in the universe and they know all these other characters that to see them in the MCU with other characters, like to see the Fantastic Four eventually team up with Spider-Man is a dream come true. When that eventually happens, it's gonna blow the roof off of every cinema in the fucking world, you know? Um, I really, really trust Feige and Matt Shackman, the team over at Marvel, I trust them to make the greatest Fantastic Four movie that they could possibly make. I trust them to make one of the greatest Marvel movies, one of the greatest comic movies. I'm putting a lot on this movie because I'm so excited for it. Um, I I, I really hope they cast the right people. I trust them with whoever they cast because they don't often miss with their castings. I have my own people that I want cast, but I, I trust them. I trust them to do what they're doing. I trust the MCU to treat the Fantastic Four well because they've treated the Avengers well. They treat most of their characters well. No matter what people say, I will always believe that the MCU has done more good for Marvel than, than not. And they treat their characters with a lot of respect from the comic books. I, I think that this movie has the potential to be something really, really special. And it's definitely one I'm, I, I just cannot wait to see. We're like less than two years out. We'll get the casting. I really hope we get the casting like very soon, like within the next six months I'm just hyped, I'm just fucking excited to see this movie, man, it, it feels like it's been taken forever, it's been a long time in the, in the making, I remember when they announced it, Investor's Day, and I cried, I was on a call with all the hero story guys, and I cried, I was just so excited, um, I just love the Fantastic Four, they're awesome, I, I have a lot of stories, I think I could write the Fantastic Four one day, I got a lot of stories in my head, I just, I really like them, they're really fun, they're cosmic adventurers, and that's what's really cool about them, is they're not traditional superheroes, they're just adventurers, <laughs> And one of the, the main thing I think about the Fantastic Four, though, that uh, don't that doesn't get enough attention, is the Fantastic Four were the first Marvel characters, uh, and first comic book characters, really, with like noticeable flaws. They they weren't just superheroes; they were normal people. Superman was perfect. Batman was perfect. Wonder Woman was perfect. All these characters at DC were perfect. Captain America was perfect, and Namor was an antihero, but he was he, he didn't need that kind of you know he didn't have that kind of depth at the time. Just drop my pen in case you heard that. You know, Namor didn't have that kind of depth. And so the Fantastic Four come along, though, and their characters that maybe didn't want superpowers, weren't prepared for superpowers, weren't prepared for the world they would enter now having superpowers. Ben Gurm especially, whose superpower was that he turned into a giant orange rock monster. Like, he, he, he was a very in-depth character for a medium that hadn't really dealt with character depth at the time. It was a revolutionary idea. And that's why Marvel succeeded the way they did is because all their heroes starting with the fantastic four were regular people. It was the world outside your window. They were normal people that you could really connect with. They were relatable. They were funny. They were just, they were, they were people that you knew. And that was, what was really exciting about it is that they, they kind of started this trend of giving these characters depth. I say it's a trend. It was at the time, but now it's like, obviously the characters have depth. That's all because of the fantastic four. That's all because of Stan and Jack. Uh, uh, what did I say before? Stack and Jan. It's all because of Stack and Jan. Um, so yeah, that's it for the Fantastic Four. Um, but I do have I do have more recommendations outside of that this week. Oh my god, am I excited to talk about it? Wednesday, Wednesday Adams. Wednesday Adams has a TV show. Uh, she's Jenna Ortega. It's the fucking best. I love it. It's like a mixture. Um, it is a mixture of Riverdale, which doesn't sound like a compliment. It's like Riverdale meets like Twin Peaks meets um. Harry Potter. There's another thing I thought of. Meets Carrie. There's a lot of really good stuff in there. It's kind of this gothic teen. i Hesitate to say teen. It's a little more like, like I'd say like it's made for like 17 to 20 year olds. It's a really fun show, and Janet Ortega kills it as Wednesday Adams. Um, I, saw, I read earlier today that it actually beat Stranger Things 4's record of being like the most watched English premiere for a TV show on Netflix. Awesome. I'm really excited. I haven't finished the season yet, but I'm really enjoying where it is right now. That's kind of all I have to say about Wednesday as far as TV shows go. Um, but watch it. It's a great show. Um, but, haven't didn't talk about it last week because I didn't have anything to talk about, but this week we got more wrestling talk, bitches. Oh my god, I'm so excited to talk about more pro wrestling. I haven't gotten any messages of people saying that they like it, but I also haven't gotten people saying that they didn't like me talking about wrestling, so I'm just going to continue to talk about pro wrestling uh, this last weekend, Thanksgiving weekend, we got Survivor Series War Games. Triple H, who second he took in charge, decides that War Games is going to be at Survivor Series. What a what a genius idea! I mean, War Games from WCW even into NXT was always like one of the coolest stipulations they had. Every time you had a War Games match, it was just like a banger. There's very few non-banger War Games matches, and I think that this pay per view the past weekend really kind of stuck with that trend. The women's match was excellent, but the men's match was really where the storytelling came out, and you got Sami Zayn proving his worth uh, as part of the bloodline. The moment where Sami and Jay hugged, I lost my shit, dude. I was screaming at the TV. I was so excited. It was just like DC, DC. I nearly said Marvel, and I corrected into DC, but what I meant to say was WWE. Their storytelling... Right now with the bloodline and Sami Zayn. It's mostly Sami Zayn, he's like the most over guy in the company. But he's killing it right now. And I'm really happy that they're giving him this kind of role of prominence. He's the most important person in this feud right now. Uh last night was raw and they had this really KO and, and Sami Zayn had this really, really emotional kind of like back and forth where they were talking about like Kevin Owens said that his wants nothing to do with Sami Zayn anymore. And Sami Zayn saying, like, Oh, you know, I don't want anything to do with you. I got family now. It was really emotional. It's really heartfelt because we've seen all the things that they've been through together, backstabbing each other and fighting each other, but also as great teammates over 20 years. It's like I I I'm not sure where the storyline goes next. Um I've had a lot of discussions with some friends I think maybe Sami Zayn still is like a plant in the Bloodline, and he turns on them. A lot of people think think it might be Solo who's going to turn on the Bloodline, or maybe Jay goes crazy and turns on the Bloodline again. Like we we're not sure. We we don't really know. And I think that's what's exciting about it is there's so many outcomes for this Bloodline storyline, and they're all really great outlines. So it's like or out, outcomes, and I'm not so I'm not sure which one they're going to pick. But whatever they do, again, I trust them. They've earned my trust now. Um, I, I think that's it, though. I think that's all I really have to say about wrestling. I'm kind of talking very quickly at the end here. I don't know how much I have left, unfortunately. Um, God of War Ragnarok's great. Stream the Batman. Um, I think I'm done. Yeah, <laughs> we're got forty minutes. Yeah, I think I think that's good enough. I I've given you a lot of stuff to read. Um, if you've made it this far, DM me and say uh, stackin' Jan" because I think that's really funny. I hope that becomes a thing. Um, if eventually this, this podcast blows up into something massive, uh, I'll sell a merch that says stack Jan. Um, but yeah, uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for giving reviews. I got a really nice review last week, like I said, and said to skimp on the spoilers. So I hope I have done that this week properly. Um, but yeah, uh, thanks for listening. Love you guys. And I hope you tune in next week. I'll see you. I'll see you then. Bye-bye.